Luz Buijs and co-authors recently won the Netherlands Journal of Geosciences publication prize for the best paper published in 2019-2020. The title of the paper is Review of Induced Seismicity in Geothermal Systems Worldwide and Implications for Geothermal Systems in the Netherlands. In this, in this podcast, I will have a chat to Luz and ask her a few questions about the research she and her colleagues carried out. Luz works in the geomechanics group in the Applied Geoscience team at TNO Geological Survey of the Netherlands. And my name is Henk Kombrink, and I am the editor-in-chief for the Netherlands Journal of Geosciences. Welcome, Luz. Thanks, Henk, for introducing me. No worries at all. Um, so, yeah, in this podcast, I'm, I'm going to um, ask you a few questions about the research you've carried out. Um, and so let me start with the first question. Um, what was the main driver behind carrying out this research that you published in, in the journal? Yeah, let me first start by also uh, saying that I'm honored to uh, have received the ENG uh, publication prize. And uh, of course, I did not do this work alone, but I also like to uh, acknowledge all my co-authors in this paper. Uh, but to go back to the reason for the research, uh, the reason why we did this was the foreseen increase in uh, the geothermal energy production in the Netherlands and the related concern about the possibility of the occurrence of felt-induced seismic events near these geothermal uh, projects. So it all started in 2018 after ABN published Masterplan Aardwarmte or the Masterplan Geothermal Energy for the Netherlands. EBN is the Energiebeheer Nederland and is a government-owned stakeholder in uh, many hydrocarbon and geothermal activities. And in this master plan, EBN laid out ambitions for geothermal energy production, which is um, supposed to contribute up to 22% of the national heat demand in 2050. So this means uh, an increase of uh, several hundred doubles from the current 20 projects that we have. Uh, to over a few hundred of these geothermal projects. So geothermal energy production really plays an important role in the energy tra transition. But in order to progress safely and with the acceptance of the population and other stakeholders, it is important to address uh, potential undesirable side effects. And one of these undesirable side effects can be the occurrence of felt-induced seismic events, like we have seen in the gas production in the Netherlands. And I'm emphasizing felt events because there might often be micro-seismicity related to human operation subsurface, but that is not necessarily a problem. It becomes a problem if the events are felt, and in particular if they cause damage to, uh, for example, infrastructure or housing. And felt seismicity, we can think of magnitudes roughly two or more that we can feel at the surface. It depends a bit on where you are and what's the structure of the subsurface but it's around two that they can be felt. And in particular, in the Netherlands, we have little natural seismicity except in the south. We have a high population density and a history with gas depletion seismicity, which makes it extra important to mitigate the occurrence of felt events in geothermal projects. So EPN uh, commissioned us at TNO Applied Geosciences uh, to investigate the potential for induced seismicity for the Dutch geothermal projects. And in our study, we first of all looked into the mechanisms of geothermal-induced seismic events, which are actually quite different from those uh, during gas production. 
And we also reviewed um, the various seismic monitoring approaches. But the bulk of our study was made up of doing a review of all the geothermal projects that are described uh, in countries abroad and noting for each of these projects whether felt-induced seismic events were seen or were not seen, because whether you see them or not are both important observations. And we listed all the geological and operational characteristics of these foreign projects and then translated what all these observations mean for the Dutch geothermal systems. Excellent. Yeah, and yeah, I, I have also read the paper, obviously, and uh, it is clear that you've done a lot of work in, in, in order to provide an overview of what has been done uh, abroad or what has been monitored and, and seen. Um, so can you briefly summarize the most important lessons you've been able to distill from these geothermal projects that have been running abroad for a, for a long time? Yeah, so what we saw, there are different types of geothermal plays and the differences between geothermal plays in, for example, the tectonic setting and the lithology and the corresponding operational techniques that are used translate into a different potential for induced seismicity for these plays. Uh, we can roughly divide uh, the geothermal plays in two main categories. Uh, the first type are so-called convective geothermal systems, which are located near plate boundaries or areas with active volcanism or magmatism or faulting. And these are dominated by convective fluid flow and are often very hot, so temperatures may reach up to 400 degrees Celsius, um, which you can use, for example, to generate electricity from. Examples of such geothermal systems are the geysers in California, uh, volcanic fields in Iceland, Indonesia, but a bit closer to home, um, uh, projects in the Rhine Valley Graben, the Upper Rhine Graben, I should say. Um, and most of these geothermal sites are characterized by a high natural seismicity. Um, but our review of the literature of these projects showed that especially the reinjection of cold production water, so people take out the water or steam from the fields, and then to maintain the pressure, reinject the water again when it's um, cooled down. This reinjection process is often accompanied by an increase in seismicity. So that's actually induced seismicity related to this reinjection. Yeah. There have been, oh, yes? No, go ahead. <laughs> okay. There have been several quite large magnitudes at these sites, up to a magnitude four or five. Um, although it sometimes is difficult to distinguish between the natural and induced seismicity. Um, and there are also, this does not hold for, for all of the fields, so there's also many geothermal fields which just have magnitude twos or trees. And also it's not always a problem because many of these systems are in remote areas and uh, or people may be used to some natural seismicity. So magnitudes can be large, but it's not always a problem. Um, besides these convective type of geothermal systems, we also have another type called conductive geothermal plays. And these are found away from plate boundaries in tectonically quiet areas. They are somewhat smaller and cooler compared to the convective systems, and they have a lower rate of natural seismicity. And within this group of, within this type of geothermal projects, there are projects that target granitic basement, or the sedimentary layers overlying the basement or far from the basement. And within this group of, of geothermal 
projects, we observed that most of the felt events that were reported for these projects were related to operations within or close to the basement. Yeah. For the sedimentary formations, some smaller felt events were reported for fractured carbonates. But for porous sandstone formations, we did not um, we did not see felt seismicity reported. And that makes sense from a mechanistic point of view. So the main mechanisms for the generation of induced seismicity are pressure increases and temperature decreases, which both do lead which both lead to stress changes that promote fold motion. And these stress changes are amplified by the rock stiffness. And in addition, the stiffer rock types, types are more prone to seismic faulting behavior. So if you look at the basement, granites are very stiff and they're also very impermeable. And fluid flow is mainly dominated by the in-situ fracture network in the granite, which first needs to be stimulated by a high pressure injection. So the pressure is increasing because of your operations and the stimulation. Also, temperature differences may be quite large and the rock is very stiff and can carry a high tectonic state of stress, which all contributes to the occurrence of felt seismicity. And also when you um, circulate fluids in sedimentary formations close to that basement, you can also disturb the stresses in the basement when there is a hydraulic connection, which can also lead to seismicity. This is what we see, for example, in Oklahoma related to wastewater injection. It's another type of operation, but the importance of the basement formation is also visible there. And on the other hand, the sedimentary aquifers usually involve just two wells, which have a balanced injection, which means the net injected volume is zero. And also pore pressure increases are very limited and temperature changes are limited to the vicinity of the injection well. Um, so the stress changes in general are a bit lower, um, although cooling can generate quite a high stress change. I will come back to that later. Um, but uh, the sandstone formations are also less stiff, which leads to smaller stress changes, and they are likely to carry less tectonic stress. Uh, the combination of which makes them also less prone to seismic behavior. So to summarize all this, um, operation large tectonically active convective geothermal fields or operations and stimulations in stiff basement rocks are prone to generate felt-induced seismicity, whereas operations in softer sedimentary formations far from the basement are likely, less likely to generate felt-induced seismicity. Excellent summary, Luz. Um, so in, in that sense, if, if I understand uh, everything you said correctly, uh, this is good news for the Dutch subsurface in terms of geothermal energy production. Yeah, definitely. So the the geothermal plates luckily belong to the, the latter type, the conductive uh, geothermal plate types, mainly in sedimentary aquifers, which is a very good thing. So the majority of our geothermal plates in the Netherlands are sandstone formations at depths of one and a half to two and a half kilometer, for example, the Jurassic Cretaceous sandstones in the West Netherlands basin. And as observed in our review, no felt seismicity has been reported for similar sites in other countries. For example, the North German basin, a very similar tectonic setting to the Netherlands. Um, a number of systems have been operating for over 30 years in the porous sandstone formations without any felt seismicity that has been recorded or reported. 
And also, let's not forget, in the Netherlands itself, there are several geothermal projects operating for 10, 15 years, also without any felt seismicity. Um, however, we have one other type of sedimentary formation that we target in the Netherlands, and these are fractured carbonates, which can be found, for example, in the south, in the province of Limburg, at a favorable depth, temperature range. And for this type of rock, uh, which is a bit stiffer and where fluid flow is controlled by the fracture networks, uh, several relatively small but still felt events have been reported in other countries. For example, in the Molas Basin in the south of Germany, in the, in the front of the Alps, uh, with magnitudes up to 2.7, and even closer to home, just across the border in Belgium, at the Balmat site, where magnitudes of up to 2.1 were recorded. And this was actually felt in a nearby village of Dessel, and operations were suspended following these events. And in the Netherlands, we have two um, projects targeting this formation in Limburg, and near one of them, several events up to magnitude 1.7 were recorded. These events were not felt, but the concerns led to geothermal operations to be suspended, and they still are to date. So to summarize again, um, the doublet operations in porous sensor formations far from the basement have a low potential for induced misty, which is good for the Netherlands, and operations in the fractured carbonates have been observed to occasionally generate small but still felt events. But I do want to note that every subsurface is unique. And it is important always when you start a new project to consider which formations are there. Um, and more importantly, to avoid operations close to large faults, especially if those faults carry a high tectonic stress. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Louis, for your summary. Um, and um, yeah, it, it is clear now that the Dutch subsurface lends itself fairly well for geothermal operations. Um, but in regards to, to kind of proximity to basement, um, the Netherlands, it, of course, has been a subsiding area for a long time and there, there's not much control or, or we don't know much, let's put it that way, uh, in terms of where basement is. Have, have you ever looked at, at how deep basement is actually uh, buried <laughs> in the Netherlands, in the Dutch subsurface? Yes, we, we looked into that and um, I think there's only one or two wells that even sample part of really mm -hmm. the, the granitic basement in, in Zeeland. Yeah. And in other areas, the, the basement is very, very far away. Yeah. So that's also good news for the for the geothermal energy development. But I must say that not only granitic basement can be prone to, um, to generate felt events, but also very stiff cemented sedimentary rocks have been seen to uh, host seismic events. So for example, if you have quartzite or, um, yeah, and the carbonates I, I mentioned, yeah. so these may not technically be basement, but the stiffer, more cemented the rocks are, the higher the potential to host seismic events, basically. Yeah, I see. Um, so, yeah, again, I think this is a, a really good summary. And um, But looking at the, the, the number of geothermal systems currently in place, you, you were saying it's about 20, it's going to be 
hopefully upscale to uh, more likely numbers of hundreds uh, in order to meet these uh, targets. Um, with that in mind, is there is there any additional research you, you are uh, needing to do in terms of uh, induced seismicity risks, etc.? Yeah, so before I mentioned that um, that the pore pressure changes in, in these geothermal doublets are typically quite small, but temperature change may be quite high. So let's say the institute temperature in a sandstone aquifer is 80, 90 degrees, such as uh, many of the systems in the Netherlands are. That's a temperature, by the way, that's not high enough to generate electricity from. So the, the hot water is used for direct use in the greenhouses to heat the greenhouse, for example, and then pumped back. So there is a net zero uh, injection balance. Um, what was I saying? What was the question again? I, I confused myself. <laughs> no worries. Oh, no, I more think, research. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, given the, yeah. sorry, go the, ahead. So the pore pressure changes are, are very limited in such a situation, but cooling may occur. So the institute temperature 80, 90 degrees. Uh, Water is re-injected at, say, for example, 20 degrees. So there may be significant cooling around the injection well. And this is a very important mechanism for uh, stress changes in the subsurface and uh, possi possibly the um, the occurrence of induced misty. Um, so we are now looking more into what are the effects of cooling on the subsurface stress and how can it lead to uh, seismicity. Uh, for example, we can look at how large is the volume of rock that is cooled down over the lifetime of a geothermal doublet. Uh, what are the related stress changes due to this cooling? How do these translate into seismicity? And not unimportantly, also what's the pre-existing tectonic stress? Because the closer the pre-existing stress is to uh, fault failure, the less stress change you need to, to generate seismicity. And we're also looking into regional uh, differences so can we distinguish between regions? These are all questions that we are addressing at TNO within the warming up project, for example, using geomechanical models and data made available by operators and also laboratory studies. And similar questions are also addressed in the Canis Effecta Mijnbouw program, which has been commissioned by the state supervision of mines. And in addition to all these uh, more geomechanical aspects, there are also a lot of developments on the topic of seismic monitoring with research being done by TNO, KNMI and the Dutch universities in collaboration with the geothermal sector. Here we can ask, for example, how to set up a proper monitoring network, what magnitudes, what, what kind of magnitudes do we want to record and locate? Because it's really useful to record also smaller seismic events because they help to understand the response of the subsurface to the geothermal operations and potentially can allow to readjust your operation schemes in order to uh, limit or reduce the seismic risk. Great. Well, it sounds like uh, <laughs> there is still uh, a, a lot to be done, Luz. Uh, and I can understand that, well, given uh, the upscaling that is envisaged uh, in terms of uh, the number of doublets being drilled, I guess it's important to have a, have a better understanding on yeah, the effect of temperature changes on, on the reservoir itself. Yeah, definitely. And and even if there's more and more systems in, in place, it's also more and more important to consider 
possible interference between those different yeah. projects and also interference with gas depletion, for example. So that's another issue if the if the subservice is going to be very busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it looks like it's it is going to be busy in the years to come. Um, so yeah, th thanks a lot for your summary, uh, Luz. And it sounds like uh, we, we can expect another paper uh, to be submitted to the journal soon. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I read I've, uh, I read there's another special issue on induced seismicity coming up with a um, exactly. deadline in November. So exactly. Hopefully you can make that. <laughs> 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 okay, well, um, thanks thanks for your time, Luz, and thanks for explaining your research very well. Um, and for all, all of you who are now interested in reading a bit more about it, please make your, well, make, make your way to the Cambridge University Press uh, website where our journal can be found and the, and the publication can be downloaded as well. So thanks again, Luz, um, and hopefully you enjoy this. Yeah, thanks, Hank, for inviting me. And thanks, uh, all of you that uh, listened to, uh, to this podcast. <laughs> okay, thank you, Luz. <laughs>